0: Here last Sunday night, The Life at 16 kicked off a series for the month called I Have Decided. And Bryden last week kicked it off with his preaching. He reminded us not to make the mistake of thinking when we surrender our lives to Jesus and make that decision, it's all there is. You know, you just decide to follow Jesus, and that's the end of it. But he said to us that we had to keep on making Decision after decision to follow God. In fact, we should lean into God and walk with him throughout our lives. And and that's really the aim that we have, to have a continuing relationship, which isn't just based on one way back there decision, but ongoing good decisions to keep following him. It was good stuff. And that theme's going on tonight. So the Life at 16 also chose a song for a theme song to go with the theme. And if if you're coming back tonight, you're going to sing it with us. It's a great song, and it's got great words, and by now it's actually virtually an oldie song, which I think is really great, because the young ones have chosen an oldie song for their night theme. Who thinks that's pretty cool? (laughs) Things are really turning around, aren't they? But singing it last week inspired me to go back to something I spoke about four years ago when we first learnt it, because this song has some great truths in it, which I think we can reiterate this morning. Who knows what the song is? No, it's not Three Blind Mice. You yeah, know, it's not the right one. I'm still getting some ringing. Is anyone else hearing Is it just me? I'm... Anyone else hear ringing? Angels? No, nothing else? Okay, that's right, it's just me. Cool. What's the song? Wow, you were here last week last Sunday night, Get on, yeah. that's it, it's called, called Christ is Enough, which talks about in the middle of it there, I have decided to follow Jesus, who remembers that, we, it's four years old with our church now, which is virtually like last century in some people's minds, but a great song with some wonderful, I think, biblical truth, which I want to bring back to you this morning, and here are some of the words, just to remind you, they're coming up on the screen, we're not singing it right now, but Christ is my reward, and all of my devotion. Now, there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing, no turning back, I've been set free. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. Here's the verse, Christ my all and all, the joy of my salvation. This hope will never fail. Heaven is our home. Through every storm, my soul will sing. Jesus is here to God be the glory. And then, of course, the chorus, Christ, is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Great. Who likes this song? Yeah. When, when I sang it last time night again, I thought, I still like that song. Mind you, I still like that song which goes, you know, oh wait, that one it wasn't Three Blind Mice, it was This Is The Day. <laughs> Who remembers that one? This is the day the Lord has made we will rejoice. That's a good song. It's your favorite, Paul. Yeah, Great, that's good. So when you hear or sing the words, Christ is enough, I wonder what, that concept, what concept that gives you. Because when it's used in the New Testament, the word for enough is often the word ample. A-M-P-L-E. Not really a word we use too much today, but the dictionary meaning of ample means plentiful, abundant, more than enough. Who's used the word ample in the last week? <laughs> I've used the word apple, which is almost the same, but ample I haven't really used too much. When we're talking about the word ample, and when we say ample, it means, in the, in the context of food, it means to be full. It means there's a glut of food. Who likes a glut of food? In fact, I remember at mealtimes when sometimes... We would say, do you want some more? Would you like some more to eat? My grandmother would often respond with this. She would say, no, thank you. I've had ample sufficiency. What's going on? Someone's phone. Is that yours, Jill? Mine? Mine? Oh, it's it's Carl. <laughs> Carl, Carl. Yes, well, it has to be my. I love that phone It's Carl, actually. Okay, where are you? Where is he? Where on earth are you? Hello? Hello? Hey, I'm in church, mate. I'm good, but I'm preaching. I know you're the boss, but. Um, it's 8 30. Okay, are you, where are you? In Australia. He's in Australia. But I'm preaching, mate. I'm sorry, boss. I mean, I'm sorry. we all due respect, but... (laughs) Yeah, hey, listen, we're missing you. We are missing you. Who's missing Carl? Yeah, Yeah, the church is missing. I don't know how to make them hear you or you hear them, but, you know... You're not missing them. Sorry? You've had a better offer? Penrith Church of Christ this morning. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's David's church. Yeah, that's your brother's church. Who remembers David? Yeah, they remember David. Okay, give our love to David. Oh, mum says hi. (laughs) Um, It was going well. My message was starting off not too bad, but it's crashed to the ground now, mate. That's right. But I forgot to turn my phone off. So yeah, anyway. Hey, it's great to hear from you. It's not the same without you. It's not the same without him, is it? Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Carl? They all said, no, it's not the same without you. Yeah, in fact, I'm desperate for you to get back here because I've, you know, mucked up a few things already. What's that? I've embarrassed the worship, I've embarrassed the worship team and Julia already this morning. So I'm doing well, and myself, because I have all my, my my microphone was all tied up around behind me there, and it was, I had to sort of, oh yeah, you can get the picture. Okay, mate. I hey, have a great service. God bless you. Yeah, okay, thanks. Bye. Turn your phones off in church. that's... Okay, where were we up to? Oh yeah, and my grandmother. So you'd say, would you like something else to eat? And you'd say, no, I've had ample sufficiency. Who's ever heard that phrase before? Yeah. A lot of, wow, you're very educated people, aren't you? That's <laughs> very incredible. And um, the interesting thing about that is, it's really old-timers' language, isn't it? Don't you think? Who thinks that's really old-timers' language? We had old song and you know, old-timers' language. And, and some are thinking, I hardly know what ample means, let alone sufficiency, and you put them both together. But you know, I reckon it might have been a bit tongue-in-cheek because ample means, as we've said, plentiful, abundant, more than enough. But sufficiency means an adequate Amount. So she was really saying, "I have had plentifully, abundantly, more than enough of an adequate amount." (laughs) It's sort of saying the same thing twice to get the message across. I'm really full. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm as full as a tick. Who knows that one? But my mother, my grandmother was Australian, so it was, "I'm full as a tick." Right? A tick's like a little flea or something. That's after they've bitten you and you or something. Well, you know, we say, "I'm full as a bull" or whatever it is, you know. So when the word enough is used in the New Testament, it means ample, plentiful, abundant, more than enough, but somehow we've reduced that word, which we translate as enough, that word enough to almost enough, just enough, sort of adequate, you know, barely enough. It'll have to do when it really means to have absolutely all that we require all that we need. And if we're using it in the context of how much we've eaten, again, we'd say, I've had so much, I feel absolutely full. I've had enough. So when we sing or say Christ is enough, we're not saying, oh, well, I'll make do. You know, I've got Jesus. I guess that'll be all right. He might be enough for me. I'll, I'll scrape through. I'll get by with my life, you know. No, it's a triumphant declaration, isn't it? It's, it's the words, Christ is enough for me. He's ample for me. He's everything I need is in you, everything I need. Right. Then it goes on to say, Christ is my all and all. That's not talking about barely getting by with Christ, is it? This song declares some wonderful truths that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letters, and they've been preserved for us, haven't they, right throughout the years. I'm just thinking... Ethan, would you like to turn my phone right off, mate? Because who knows who else might ring? Donald Trump or someone might ring up shortly. I'm not sure, but that'd be good. It'll, it might do something else funny, mightn't it? At the end of Colossians 3, verse 11, and the verses coming up here, Paul ends up by saying this. He says, Christ is all and is in all. The New Living Translation says, Christ is all that matters. One commentator put it this way Christ is absolutely everything. Christ, my all in all. And if you took about twelve minutes this afternoon to read through that book of Colossians, you will find the word all is used many times in descriptions about Jesus. And let's look at some of them on the screen. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over. I reckon we need to say these. Whenever an all comes up, could you just help me out and say all? All right, let's start again. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, that wasn't that great, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before All things, and in him, all things hold together. Carries on. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And those few verses, you know the the word all occurs seven times. Who knows what the word all means? Comes from that Greek word, doesn't it? Meaning all. Haven't said that for a long time. And also there there are other words like firstborn and everything and everything the beginning and supremacy and fullness and all those superlative words when it comes to talk about Jesus. And no wonder, because he is before all. He is over all. He is head of his church. He is head of all. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. All things were created through him, by him, and for him. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him in bodily form. In him all things hold together. He is more than enough. He is all sufficient. He is Christ, our all in all. Listen to what Paul wrote in another book he wrote, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. So Paul is saying, Christ is enough for me. All all the answers to my needs are found in Jesus. Everything I need is in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. And if we re- don't really know that Christ is enough, we can water the truth down to that whole thing of He's just enough, He's almost enough for me, for my life to be really fulfilling, it has to be Christ and something else. I have to be satisfied in my life with Christ and whatever else might satisfy me. And here in the book of Colossians, and in this book where some of these verses have been from already, he gives us three things that we need to really be sure we don't add to Christ in our lives. They are three things that can actually undermine and devalue and eventually take over the faith we have in Christ and his first place in our lives. Beware of three things. Here's the first one. Beware, Paul says, of deceptive philosophy. Colossians 2 verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. God gave us our minds, right? He gave us our intellects. And we had to love the Lord with all our minds and train the intellect gift that God has given us so Paul is not talking against that. In fact, Paul himself was an extremely intelligent, very highly educated man. And some say he's still one of the greatest minds that's ever lived. But the hunger for learning and the training is a great thing. And we pursue it, but he's warning us. And he's saying that our minds can get us into trouble, sometimes If we're not careful, we can fill our minds with things which lead us away from God, but we need to fill them with things that are helpful to us, helpful to others, and foster a deeper relationship with God. Now, back in the day when I was in teacher's college, before electricity, (laughs) horse and cart days, you know, one of my tutors told us one day that He used to be a Christian. He used to go to church when he was young and really involved. And he said, but this is what he said. He said, when I went to university, I saw the light. And he turned away from church and turned away from God. What a tragedy. And over... The years I've met other people like that. They once followed Jesus and somewhere along the way they've let their intellect and their so-called newfound knowledge get the better of them. And as Paul describes it in, in his other books in Corinthians, he says they've become puffed up with what they know. And eventually it makes them turn away from God. But you know the tragedy about that is that there's such an emptiness and a hollowness in our lives when we turn away from God. And it always is when God is shut out. Because we're made for relationship with him. And there's nothing in this world that can satisfy like a relationship with God. My college tutor's experience is the exact opposite of the Apostle Paul. Because after Paul's years of learning and training and his extensive education and persecuting Christians, one day he saw the light. And that experience caused him not to walk away from God, but to walk towards God and to live for Jesus from that day onwards. See, when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't have to leave your brains at the door and stop asking questions and learning. No, on the contrary. Because some of the greatest writers and philosophers and, and scientists and inventors, scholars right throughout the ages have been strong believers in Jesus Christ. And I'd say to you this morning, whenever you're being confronted by other philosophies or ideologies, and they're steaming to start to undermine the truth of the gospel in your life, you've got to get some great readings or some writings of great intellectual Christians. Our generation knew C.S. Lewis really well. Who knows C.S. Lewis? A really fantastic mind, a man who, who can argue things so wonderfully in an intellectual way from his deep understanding of God. His book, Mere Christianity, if you're having problems with your faith and philosophies and ideologies undermining it, read that book. A modern day good man would, would be um, Tom. Tom, Tom. I forgot his name right now. Tom Wright is fantastic. He's really cool. He'll, he'll help you in some of his understandings. There's many people these days who really ten times more intelligent than I am, about the same as Paul Cargill, so they're great. but You need to read them. See, with God... It's heart and it's soul and it's mind and it's strength. You can never be too intelligent for Jesus Christ. Because in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. He and him, in him, all things hold together. So when you're connected with Him, you're connected with the supreme intelligence who knows all things, made all things, is everywhere present, is all-knowing, is all-powerful. And the dumbest thing we could do with our lives is to not surrender them to Him. So when my mind begins to elevate itself above Christ, it cheats me. If I I enthrone my intellect, I can end up dethroning the Spirit of God. If I'm feeding my mind with philosophies and theories that undermine my faith, then I can lose my conviction that Christ is enough. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, a really interesting statement. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So there's one thing that he's telling us to be careful about. Beware of philosophies that undermine, that are deceptive. And the second thing we need to be aware of is legalism. Legalism. So when I know that Christ is enough... I won't have to think every moment of every day about what I shouldn't be doing or what I should be doing or which rule I better watch in case I break it. Don't do this and don't do that and don't touch this and don't touch that and don't eat this and don't eat that and don't think this. And, whatever. and what a miserable way to live my life. It's the way of binding religion. And don't get me wrong, I'm not to live any old way, being slack in my morals or being dishonest or being cheating or anything else, but if we're not careful, something in us from our old nature rises up and wants to get all religious, so we're motivated by keeping rules and regulations, being scared that we might put a foot wrong and get punished for it. But when we live like that, we end up feeling we never measure up and we're never good enough always feeling guilty and having to be punished for our wrongdoing. What a miserable life. What we're doing is we're mixing the law and legalism with the freedom we have in Christ. Paul says, don't fall into that trap. It'll rob you of your joy and your freedom in Jesus. And the reality is, the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The penalty has been paid by his blood spilled on the cross. And we can live in victory, right? Right? The grace of God forgives and covers every sin. We believe that, don't we? Our focus isn't supposed to be on our wrongness. It's to be on his rightness. It's not our own attempts to be righteous, but on his perfect righteousness on our behalf. And his righteousness is enough. See, the more I live focusing on him, the more like him I become. Because the Holy Spirit is working out his likeness in me. And oh, the, the liberty and the joy that brings when I no longer strive in my own strength and my own righteousness. Christ, am my all and all the joy of my salvation? So for Christ to be enough for me, I need to be aware of deceptive philosophy, to be aware of legalism, but here's the balance. Here's the balance in the third one. Paul helps us here beware of carnality. Now, I tried to find another word that would fit here, because who's used the word canality lately in their sentence since breakfast, you know? Not a word we see very often, is it? But the word worldliness didn't quite work, because you know how there are some words where they encapsulate a number of other concepts all in one and if you try and take one of those concepts and say it, and that's the substitute word it doesn't quite work and this is one of those words carnality really means pursuing worldly or fleshly desires I think we all know what that means, don't we? Paul wrote to Titus and you've got the verse already up there For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I love this verse. It's amazing. See, the grace of God has paid the penalty that every sin in my life is forgiven and it's covered and my guilt and my shame is dealt with, that's wonderful. Don't you agree with me? But it means I can now have an open-faced relationship with God, but that same grace has another powerful ongoing purpose. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. It teaches us to what? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright. Man, the grace of God doesn't just cover my sin. The grace of God empowers me. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Are you with me on this this morning? It's all about focus. It's all about what we feast our eyes on. It's all about what we fill our ears with. It's all about what we spend our time doing and thinking about. There's a story told of Queen Victoria, which I've told, I know I have told here before, but if you've been around for 30-odd years, then you will have heard just about everything I've said about 10 times anyway, so... It's still good. Queen Victoria needed a new coach driver. And the team around her narrowed it down to four four final contenders for the job. And she decided she wanted to actually interview them herself to choose because the coach driver she would have driving her, you know, that's a very close relationship. She had to trust them with her life. So when they entered the first, when she talked to the first guy of these four and asked him, how can I be sure that you're going to keep me safe while we're driving in the coach? He said, your majesty, I could drive as close as one meter to the edge of the cliff and you'd be really safe. Fair enough. She got the, spoke to the second man and said, if I were to drive in your coach, how would I know I was going to be safe with you as my driver? He said, your majesty, I am such a good driver, I could go at the quarter of a meter from the edge of the cliff and you'd still be safe. Got to the third guy, and she said to the guy, you know, I'm really wanting to know how I would be safe with you driving when we are in some of these situations, like on on the cliff faces there, that sort of stuff. And he said, your majesty, I'm such a good driver, I could drive with one wheel over the edge of the cliff and you'd still be safe. She got to number four and asked him the same question. He said, your majesty, if I were your coach driver, I would drive as far away from the edge of the cliff as possible. Guess who got the job? Number four. Number four. When we know Christ is enough, we are not supposed to live seeing how close to the edge we can get without really getting ourselves into a worldly carnal lifestyle or taking some of it on board in our life, just hoping we're not going to tip over into another sort of giving up our faith sort of style of life. Let's be honest. If we're alive, we all battle with our flesh and our worldly desires. Anyone else? You know what they are. I don't even need to spell any of them out. The Apostle Paul knew this really well. And he spends a great deal of his time dealing with these issues in his letters. And here's a great example in Romans 8 verse 5. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. It relies on what we focus on. It relies on what we fill our ears with. It relies on what we feast our eyes upon. Look at these wonderful words just a few verses earlier in that chapter. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Man, I wish we had time to unpack some of that further. Aren't they great verses? Can I have the team up now, please, as we, as I draw this to a bit of a close. Paul doesn't say, just go and keep all the rules and all the regulations of the law, and grit your teeth, and try your darndest, and Hope for the best, and I know you'll fall over and over and over, and it's no really use, no trying, but you know, it's really, but just do your best anyway. No, he's not saying that, he said it's all about focus focus on what the spirit desires focus your eyes and set your mind on things above says paul focus on jesus focus on the victory and the work of the cross here in the song expressed for us it says keep focused on following jesus leave behind us the things that lead us astray and instead of giving in to those deceptive philosophies and legalism or carnality it says i have decided to follow jesus no turning back because the cross is before me, the world is behind me, I don't want to turn back from what God has called me to do. It's not, I have Christ, I guess I should do, that should do, I think I'll just get by. No way. See, here's the balance. The grace of God forgives me because he loves me. But the grace of God doesn't give me license to do what I want because God won't care about that. You bet he cares about what I do. He cares because he loves me. And so, this wonderful victory we have in Jesus Christ, it's not I've just got enough to get by, it's Christ is enough. Christ is able to do immeasurably more than we can all can ask. Or even imagine, because Christ is enough. Christ is all that matters. Christ is absolutely everything. Christ is all and is in all. Let's stand together, because we're going to sing that song, not just tonight. We're going to sing it today. I ask this today. Let's sing it with conviction. If it's a new song to you, God bless you. It's a good song. If it's an old song that you're sick of singing, just think about the truth behind the words. And with conviction say, he is more than enough. He is ample for all that I need. And I have decided to follow him for the rest of my life. Let's sing it.